Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. So I noticed there are some other things on the challenges list, like, okay, multi-cloud networking. How is this a challenge for automation? And, and, and... How can people over like, is there something here that's beyond just saying the words multi-cloud networking? <laughs> it, it, it's similar, right? But I think it is different. So, you know, it, it's similar in the way that we were talking about earlier, right? This idea that in order to have an interface that works across all your devices, right? If it's, if it's you know, Arista, Juniper, Cisco, Nokia, on and on and on, whatever it might be, you know, you've got to be, you, you've got to kind of translate on the fly in order to make that work or interpret on the fly, depending on what you're actually doing. Um, and, and the clouds are the same way, right? If you're working across AWS and GCP and Azure and, and OCI and, and you know, DigitalOcean and on and on, um, they all do things a little bit differently as well, right? And, and so maybe it's not a, a totally different problem, but, but it's similar. I, I, to me, the, the cloud and, and multi-cloud stuff is more interesting in the context of the shifting definition of infrastructure. Right. Or, or, or the, the, the different kind of abstractions of what infrastructure means, depending on kind of, I mean, so some of it is based on what year you started in networking. Um, but it also depends on where you work. Um, you know, cause not everybody nowadays, I mean, there's, I think there's, you know, there's, there's currently network folks who have never, you know, cut their fingers on, uh, on a rack cage nut. Um, right. right. Or tried to right. plug in a 60 pin cable. Set, <laughs> yeah, or, definitely. Right. Or set the Amphenol, Amphenol connectors. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or set the boot, um, the boot ROM loader thing and dip switches on an AGS plus. I mean, you know, <laughs> how, how can you miss that in your career? Like, how do right. you have a complete network career without that? But I think the other thing that's interesting about cloud is, is that here we see, and, and I fuss about this all the time. We see a bunch of people who didn't know understand what networks are. They just thought it was connectivity. Mm. And this, I hear this all the oh, the network is just, it just gets data from point A to point B. No, actually, it doesn't. Okay, it does, but that's like the bare minimum bottom line. Like that's like the reductionist view of a network is what that is. And so we see a bunch of people who built servers and they thought, oh my goodness, there's this protocol called BGP. And if I just throw it on everything, it will just work. And I don't need to worry about all the complexity of building these multi-tier networks and all the abstraction. And I can just build something really simple. And the problem is a lot of these hacks that these cloud providers have done, and that's what they really are, when you scale them, they bite you. Mm. And so the different view of networking that you get from a cloud provider that it's more of a service, that it's not, um, you know, that it's simple, that I can do it by throwing stuff together, has a major impact on the entire idea of automation. Like when I build my network, my network where I work now is very big and we have a lot of complexity and we talk a lot about architecture and how to do, how to solve certain problems in a way that overlap with other problems that need to be solved. And what we're going to be doing in five years, cloud provider networking people don't have those kinds of discussion. I mean, they just don't. You can see it even in just the way they've named their networking constructs, yeah. right? You go to AWS and, and you're talking about a VPC, which it took me a little while to figure out that they were talking about a network. 
Um, yes. when they talk about a VPC, right? It, yeah. It's a it's a very different just just a perspective uh, on it is totally totally yeah. different. Yeah, it's all abs- it's all abstracted, right? Yeah. For the cloud, because because you've got so much resource network compute and storage in the cloud, and you have that great abstraction layer, whether it's the AWS console or what have you. Um, it's easy to create a dev environment and clone it and make it your test environment and clone it into production, right? You don't you don't have the same luxury when you're running a physical network, right? Yeah. The cables plug into ports in discrete locations in time and space, um, and you can't you can't get away with can't get away from that. Um, so that's a real difference between you know our siblings in the cloud only world um, versus maintaining and uh, operating physical network infrastructure. Yeah. yeah, that's what I think, you know, and maybe it falls inside of the umbrella of multi-cloud, but that, you know, the hybrid cloud idea is where this stuff really starts to get complicated because you're right, right? If I'm only running a single VPC in, in AWS, then maybe networking is fairly easy, potentially. Um, the, the challenge is nothing that matters is going to stay inside of one, you know, network right. and one cloud provider because someone's got to access it, right? And, and probably some some organization. Or on a single virtual Ethernet segment. Right. If it's really interesting, it doesn't stay on a single virtual Ethernet. Yeah, right. it, it can't. Right. You know, yeah, that's, by that's definition. I think one of the other challenge, one of the reasons that multi-cloud represents a challenge is that you you have to you have to understand architectural level things. You you can't just say I'm going to roll out this change to these devices anymore. You have to understand abstractions because you must create your own abstraction if you're going to do multi-cloud networking. You cannot like if you're just automating a fleet of Cisco switches, you don't really have to think about abstractions that much. Tools are provided that the mental the mental exercise has been done for you. But if you're going to if you're going to do multi-cloud, you have to think about and create an abs- at least one abstraction somewhere. And the other yep. the other thing that you have to confront is the difference between automation and orchestration. You can't ex- you can't act like that difference does doesn't exist anymore when you have multi-cloud. And so what I think this does, it just makes the cognitive load go really, really high. And at least that's why I see multi-cloud. Like one of the reasons I agree with you putting multi-cloud on the list of challenges is it just just forces this whole other pile of stuff onto somebody. And I could see how you could be overwhelmed. Like if you've never even automated the provisioning of a service on a network and all of a sudden now you've got to do this abstraction and and orchestration and all this stuff, um, I could see it being a big challenge. Well, I don't. I don't know if you caught the subtlety on on the starter list, but you know, I while I included, while we included multi cloud networking as a challenge, we also included it as a new tool and an enabler, right? right? So with challenges come opportunities, right? And I think one of the very cool things here is I'll, I'm just going to go really free market on you for a minute and say, look, when when a market presents a set of challenges or problems to solve, players emerge. Um, that try to take different approaches to solving it. We're seeing at least four or five companies, you know, trying to address this issue and become that leveler between, you know, what do I call a network on Azure, on AWS, on Oracle, on Google, and how do I connect it to my private data center, you know, where I might have, you know, a Cisco router or Juniper router or something else as the gateway box, right? And that's, that's kind of really fascinating to watch that emerge right in front of our eyes. Well, you can go the other direction and go deeper inside of a single cloud, typically anyway, uh, and and dive down into like Kubernetes networking, right? Which is another piece of this that, that makes things really interesting. Where if you came up, you know, routing between MDFs and IDFs uh, on on switches in, in a building, 
And then now you're just talking about, you know, how do I make this application work by ensuring that, you know, the packets are going the right direction inside of a cluster uh, that can get pretty wild. And, and to your point, Tom, like, like cognitive load there is, is pretty interesting as well because um, it, it's still networking, but it's a very different construct, I think. Yeah. And, and, and Kubernetes is another example to me of a bunch of server people going out and building something and just saying, well, if it's all automated, static routes are fine and NAT. The network right? can figure it out. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, <laughs> right. static routes and NAT are fine. Like, it's automated. Yeah. Why do I need a routing protocol? Well, yeah, scale that to 10,000 Kubernetes clusters. And all of a sudden, the static routes don't really work anymore. <laughs> you know, you got to do something. And so, yeah, I mean, this is a lesson. It's kind of entertaining to watch these people learn the same lessons that like Vint Cerf learned when he designed DNS and Paul Macapuchus or Paul Macapuchus and Paul and Paul Vixie learned when they designed DNS. I said Vint, but it's not really Vint. Anyway, like it's all these same lessons over again. And you're like, okay, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but so, what? oh, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead, Tom. <laughs> a little back off there. Um, so, what is the interplay between tools that a vendor provides where on one side of the spectrum, someone buys out automation tools and sort of glues them together and someone builds a whole system themselves? How does that continuum play into this discussion we're having? So it's interesting and it, it harkens me back to something Scott said earlier around, or, or maybe everybody kind of talked about this, right? This idea that, you know, there's a lot of you know network engineers who don't want to learn programming, that that's outside of their skill set, it's outside of what they do. But I'll tell you what, the thing I've seen uh, a bigger allergic reaction among network engineers than to, to Python is to platforms, right? Because a, a, a really good CLI jockey does not want to move to a GUI. Um, so there is a really interesting interplay there, right? Of, of you know, and, and I think that's a big part of the buy versus build um, decision tree there is, is do I want to, you know, trust this vendor's platform and use the GUI and lose all my nerd knobs, right? My, my ability to go in there and, and really mess with stuff. I, I think that's a big, big piece of it, right? And so, and then like I said, the other piece is those platforms today almost never can just drop in and attach to a network. There, there's gotta be some kind of build involved anyway, right? You've gotta have some kind of, either you're hiring somebody or you're building a team, you're doing something to kind of figure out how to, how to glue those two things together. Um, so those may, those two things alone may be a big part of the kind of resistance to adoption of, of uh, you know, big orchestration platforms anyway. Yeah. yeah. I think we're always going to have both, right? I think there's always going to be the organizations that have enough, enough smarts to DIY, right? Roll, roll their own and, and do it well. Um, and I think there are always going to be those organizations that, that don't have it and need something shrink-wrapped. Um, so I, I think you're going to see both of those represented in the ecosystem um, for as long as we're, we're doing this. Uh, yeah. It might be longer for some of you than for me. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I think one of the risks there on the platform front is what happens when a single big iron vendor acquires said platform. We could call out certain examples like yes. TailF, right? Yeah, like TailF um, is the big one that comes you know, to mind. But, but there are others too, right? And, uh, you know... It, it is it is the way of things, right? The way uh, the way acquisitions work. Um, even when somebody says we're going to keep this multi vendor, um, but then two years later, you know, all those non native uh, features, you know, come to a grinding halt, and they only focus on the acquiring company's platform. So that's a that's another risk we need to mitigate against. And obviously, DIY can be a big help in that. Yeah. 
So, so my perspective on DIY versus buy, build versus buy is always a little bit different because I think within any organization that's large enough, you're going to have both. I think there are certain areas where DIY is going to give you some amount of competitive advantage that nobody else has. And therefore, sure. you should you should spend mm. the resources and do it. And there are other places in your organization, and it's not going to be the same for every organization. Again, go back to the UPS example back in the 60s, right? Um, okay, look, everybody builds everybody builds delivery trucks. Nobody we don't, we don't really need to build our own delivery truck. I really don't care about delivery trucks. It's just like it's just a thing. And they went a different direction, and they said, you know, we're not going to build a lot of other stuff. Like, I don't know that they, that even back in the 60s, they built their own IT systems or anything. Maybe they outsource all of that because it's not really, they don't consider it crucial. But delivery trucks are crucial, right, for them. And the same thing when you talk about, like, high-speed trading environments. It might be that I don't need to build my own fabric to do data analytics. I can just use somebody else's. I can just use the cloud for data analytics. But for my actual trading, I need to build my own fabric. And I can flip it and I can say, maybe if I'm a large retailer, it makes more sense for me to build my own fabric for data analytics that's specialized to my use case. But when it comes to like dealing with stock and patents and other things, I'm not building any of that stuff, right? So I think it's not necessarily just a company-wide thing. I think it's more like in specific areas, things can come in that... Um, can be useful. And this is another thing to learn if you're trying to get automation out there in your organization is to find that area. Because right, what's the area that's high leverage? Yeah. yeah, what, yeah. What, what's the lever I can get underneath this weight of automation to get people to see the value very, very quickly? And once I found that lever, work with those people, automate that. And then the rest of it just falls out. Like the rest of it just happens. Like that's interesting. Right. I, I think there is also this third path potentially, or this, or this you know kind of in between path, which Scott alluded to earlier, right? Which is that you know there's these kind of big platform vendors, which I think have a have a place for sure. And then there's you know engineers, architects, developers, whoever you know at network operators, whether it's enterprise or or government or or service writer or whatever. Um, and then there's this you know I think a growing number of folks that sit between them. And are basically professional services organizations that'll come in and and build the automation system you need for your uses, and then hand it off to you to operate, right? So because you know it, it's kind of one of those things. You know, one of the reasons people use value added resellers for so long was because you know designing a new rack of servers or designing a new storage array or designing a new network wasn't something they did often enough to have a full architecture team on staff, right? Um, so you bring somebody in to do the design work and then you handle the operations. And, and I think there may be a path there. It seems like there is a path there in, in automation as well, where you can say, hey, you know, build it this way. So it works this way. Give me these interfaces and then, you know, get out of here and I'll, I'll, I'll run it. Yeah. Just being careful that you don't paint yourself in a corner when you do it. Right. Right. Because because a company's going to come in and they're going to try to get a hook to keep you keep mm-hmm. their services in place forever. Or anytime you need to make a minor change, you have to call them kind of a thing. See a lot of that in IT. So, you know, Fair. you need to be careful about about that. Just, you know, just as a generic kind of thing that sure. happens there. There's what is another... interesting. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. 
Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say I, the the other way you can look at this is you can you can consume open source with that same mindset. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. here's an open source project that does you know eighty percent of what I want. I'll treat them as professional services. I'm not paying anybody, but somebody wrote that code, mm-hmm. and then that it's on me to glue it into an architecture. And then you know that's that's another way to think of like it's not that you just have to sit down and from scratch write your into the choices aren't from scratch write mm-hmm. a th- you know ten thousand lines of code or pay. For for some platform like there's all the all kinds of things in between yeah right that's a good point what about room tom for uh the red hats of the automation world right um you know sure, the, sure. these just just like chris was mentioning you know there are these organizations growing up around you know we can help you consume all that all the constructs that have already been built um but adapted to your environment and to you know russ's caution um no, they're not all just out here to help build a better internet, right? They they yeah. are going to look for hooks to, uh, you know, keep their services on retainer for sure. Yeah. I think the most trouble I've ever gotten into at a vendor is the, the multiple times where I've said to a customer, you actually don't need to use our specific product to build this. Like, and the sales team gets really angry <laughs> because they value the lock-in over the relationship. And like, I'm totally the opposite. I value the relationship over the lock-in. And so that has been- That will get you uninvited from any future meeting (laughs) with that account team ever again. I've seen that uh, too many times. Yep. Exactly. So I think another place where people get automation started in their network is this whole idea around security. And like I said, for me, when I think about automation, when we first started, one of the things I think about is consistency in security. And I know that, you know, I always teach about complexity and I think about, okay, when I automate something, I make it brittle to some degree. There's a brittleness that comes. So you've got to be careful about over automation because you can build a brittle system. And I always liken it to like, if you've ever built a knife or, or done anything with steel and you go out and you, and you, um, you heat up really hot and you quench it. And then you actually detune it. You actually bake off, you actually take off some of the hardness scale. Because if you keep it as hard as you possibly can, if you can build really, really hard steel, but then it becomes like ceramics. Like you can actually drop a piece of steel on a ceramic floor and it breaks, it shatters. And you're like, well, how did that happen? Because you made it too hard. You made it brittle by making it too hard. But still network security, I think is another big area where if you're trying to push automation in your organization that you can back up and say, here is a place where we could do a lot of work really fast and show value. At least it seems to me. For sure. I think so. Like, I mean, just policy enforcement in general, right, is, is somewhere where that makes a lot of sense to have some kind of automated checking to see that that nobody's you know, left something open that should have been closed and, and, and those kind of things for sure. And that leads into, I mean, just that idea of kind of understanding the way things should be and and either alerting you that they're not or or changing them back potentially depending on on you know your your level of trust with that system um that starts leading down the path of, of artificial intelligence which i think just like i think sdn excited people because really they just wanted automation i think you know to me ai is just a different approach or or not even an evolution maybe or you know it's one of the kind of automation tools um, is understanding, you know, being able to let the, you know, software train itself based on what's normal and what's not, 
uh, and find outliers and, and alert you to them. Um, that seems pretty exciting. I, I, you know, where I think we're really early days still, and and there is definitely a bit of uh, AI washing going on across the the industry. I think you know <laughs> everything became AI really quickly. No. <laughs> you can thank but, you can thank the VCs for that, right? right. The, the VCs want to put money on. You have to have an AI story, right? Yeah. But I think there is some useful stuff there. I, th- I think I think there is. I think it's a really interesting area. Um, uh, for, you know, to, to move automation forward, and, and maybe it's a way to get around some of these. To to your analogy earlier, Scott, right? The, the the plaster between the bricks or the mortar between the bricks. You know, it feels like maybe AI is something that can, can help there, right? Because to Russ's earlier point, and and Tom's as well, this lack of of a common interface. I've got to kind of in order to talk to a device, I've got to figure out how to talk to it first. Um, you know, can I use NetConf? Can I use Yang? Can I use MIBS? Uh, do I have to fall back and SSH in and screen and, and, you know, scrape it with some right. expect scripts or something? Um, and being able to kind of learn and adapt that, you know, maybe the role for AI there as well. Um, but definitely kind of finding outliers in, in data sets and finding missing data, which is really hard for human eyes. Um, there's some, some areas there, I think, where, where artificial intelligence can help. Yeah, I th- I totally totally agree. I and I think the machine learning aspect of this is really important. I, there is so much data if we're willing to scrape it because the problem is, uh, think about uh, optics, right? This is like there's some patterns that we that we have yeah. already learned for many years. Power levels get to a certain level and they trend this way. We know that optics going to fail. Like just one example, but. But the difficulty for us is in order to get to the point where we can actually make that information actionable, we have to set up a data warehouse. We have to set up exporters. We have, the whole infrastructure has to has to be automated because you have to consistently apply all this stuff if you're going to get your reliable data to train on. And so yep. all of, so automation plugs into that. But I think if if you could get to that point, now you have a big data set. Well, now you've got another problem, which is humans cannot look at this. Like you cannot ask people to do a SQL query against this data. It's just like something else has cognitive, to be Cognitive it. load. You brought it up earlier. It's, it, right. it exceeds cognitive load for most mortals. Yep. Right. So yeah. with optics, I like to use that example because it's really easy to grasp. Like, oh, I can see some markers going on in the in the the, char- the electrical characteristics of this device that's going to tell me if it's going to fail. I think there are many more things than optics in networks that can tell that same kind of a story. But the problem is we just don't have the cognitive capacity to know what it is. I bet you there's three or four other things out there that there are these Easily. three markers in a yeah. routing protocol, but I need a machine to tell me that yeah. that's going on. So there, there's great work going on in the AI ops field, right? And again, I'll, I'll be careful for uh, staying away from product endorsement here, but I can name at least two companies, right? That are really using scoped applied ML to make operations better, right? And, you know, Russ started out the segment by, um, you know, introducing security to the discussion. Think about how we treat the different technology domains as silos, right? And let's just use security network and optical as three silos. What if I had something that could sit above um, and um, assist my cognitive load? You know, be Sigourney Weaver in Aliens, right? With the uh, the exoskeleton on um, and give her superhuman capabilities, right? To be able to coordinate what's going on at the optical layer with the IP layer and with network security. Right. If I could just get those three domains to work together well, boy, that'd be a huge win. What if I could extend that into security at the at a higher level? Um, 
or coordination of my resources and provisioning network to follow where workloads actually sit in different clouds, right? There's, there are lots of possibilities here that we're going to be talking about, you know, again, a lot longer than any of us are in this field, but uh, I think it's exciting. And I, I, I'm purposely scoping in AI and ML in the automation discussion and definitely want to see that as part of the interaction through network automation forum. Yeah, and that ties into the other piece, I think, which is really, really important. We, we haven't talked a lot about today, um, but I think is a huge piece of this is observability, right? Um, and I think automation doesn't really work at the level we want or need it to without that observability. You've got to close that feedback loop and you've got to understand what's going on in the network, right? Whether it's with the optics uh, or, or something else, you know, what's going, what, what's the, what's the truth of the network today um, versus how it's supposed to be? And can I compare those and can I track that over time? Um, and then react to it, right? I think, you know, I think that's where we get really exciting stuff um, is when you can actually close that feedback loop and understand, you know, yeah. not just that I set the dryer for 30 minutes and ran for 30 minutes and stopped, but I set the thermostat to 70 degrees and the heater and cooler turns on back and forth to keep it at 70, right? Yeah. yeah. And and I think the problem, the, the thing with the visibility is, is that, you know, the cognitive load again, right? There's just too much. And part of it is because we have this thing in networking where if we can measure it, we do. And like, that's not really the, <laughs> part of the automation should be, if I see X, I'm going to go measure Y. Mm. And it shouldn't be, I'm going to measure X and Y all the time. Because I, there's a certain amount of data that you get past that you're just like, when people talk about data lakes, I'm always like, yeah, really? Is that really what you want? <laughs> you right, really want right. a data lake? Or a, a data, data swamp? Should, yeah, a data swamp, <laughs> yeah. Like, we can stream any telemetry now, right? Yeah. And uh, you can dump that into your lake, right? But so they're, you know, with power comes responsibility, right? <laughs> so uh, now that I can create all this additional telemetry information, uh, let, let's be smart about it. Let's figure out how to deduplicate, take take alerts from the optical layer, from the IP layer, and from, you know, security events and say, you know, these seven, 17,932 messages boil down to this one event, right? And then again, that's where AI and related yeah. tooling will help help with the cognitive load problems. Yeah, we used to be limited, right? Before streaming telemetry, the box would just fall over if you had too many SNMP polars. So we that's had right. like some, there was this limit where you, you, yep. you couldn't turn on too many monitoring systems. Uh, and I've been at networks where where they had, you know, we were right there and we'd like, you know, oh, don't add another monitoring system because, you know, you're going to make the boxes puke because of the SNMP queries. It's an old uh, tech trick, man. If, you, yeah. if somebody really needs to reload the network and they keep insisting that they can't to reload the <laughs> router, you, you just do debug <laughs> all and there it you falls go. over. <laughs> so, I don't know what I, just happened. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to be smart, snarky and say, uh, with great power comes gigantic cloud bills. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Exactly. sure. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And your rush your data lake problem, you know, that's enabled by I've got pools to infinite resource, right? Yeah. You know, from mm -hmm. a compute and storage perspective that generates the Tom, the bills that Tom just referenced. Yeah. So that's right. So let's talk about the network automation forum a little bit more. And because we've talked a lot about automation, we've kind of mentioned this conference and stuff. And I really want people to grab onto this thing and, and um, think about, I mean, this, this I think, I don't know, I need to look at a date for publication, but we'll try to get it in as early as we can. But anyway, um, you know, it's, it's very, 
important, I think, for people to be involved and understand automation in a better way. And so how do we, I mean, t- talk to us about what you're trying to get done here so that maybe people will get involved a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, AutoCon Zero is the first conference, maybe the only conference so far that asks the question, why haven't we seen full adoption of network automation yet? Right. So really, we're, we're pointing this thing directly at this issue. Um, you know, what are these things? Right. And are, are there technical challenges? Right. Which we've talked about some. Right. The, the interfaces and, and, and things like that. APIs. Like, how do we actually make automation work? Um, there's business challenges. Right. How do I get, you know, my company to actually fund automation uh, projects? How do I get, you know, that level of, you know, how do I how do I understand the business ROI and then make that convincing? And there's political challenges. Um, which is again, we talked about some of this too, right? The cross silo kind of stuff and, 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 and that kind of thing, the standardization and that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's also just this kind of, um, I, I don't know it, the, um, I'm, I forget the, the, the name for the folks who don't like technology, but, um, Luddites. Luddites. The Luddites. there's a Luddite problem, Luddites. right? Which, which I think is really interesting. And, and this is one of the, I think one of the bigger ones where, you know, we've done this in, in in a certain way for so long. I went and spent all this time getting my CCIE. Like, am I actually diminishing my own skill set by moving to network automation? And, and I think there's there's some stuff there. So there's some psychological stuff there that's going on that kind of holds us back as well. And so we just want to get everybody in the room, you know, to have this to start this conversation. Well, that's not this conversation. That's probably grandiose. This conversation is already going on. We want to help uh, facilitate it and accelerate it. Um, uh, you know, across all the stakeholders that really matter to make this stuff work. There, there's, you know, to, to tease that out a little more, um, you know, this conversation has been going on for a long time, right? Um, and it gets touched on in different forums. But uh, as Chris and I have really kind of vetted the idea to pull something very network automation focused um, to a person, people, people say things like, um, yeah, we don't have anything that has this very specific focus on network automation. Um, it gets muddied in too many other topics and discussions on a conference by conference basis. So we felt like there was a real opportunity to put laser focus on this area um, and bring people together who are wrestling with it and who are being successful with it to talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, um, and get people to see things across organizational lines, you know, company lines. Yeah. And and definitely, I mean, one of the reasons why we kind of set up Network Automation Forum as the organization to to house AutoCon Zero is a couple of reasons. I mean, as Scott alluded to, right, AutoCon Zero, it has a number on the end because we assume that this will turn into something that's, you know, one or two conferences of the year, uh, hopefully only for a set amount of time, right? Um, kind of like uh, I, I was involved with the Rocky Mountain IP6 Task Force for a while, and that was something that, you know, kind of served its purpose, pushed pushed the the envelope, taught a lot of people a lot of things, and then, you know, has, has faded back, and they don't hold conferences anymore because... Um, that message has kind of gotten spread because and the knowledge got spread. is fully deployed, right? <laughs> <laughs> better, it's better than it was when they started. Uh, hopefully, we'll have, have better success with network automation. Um, but but you know, this is something that I think we'll probably you know probably you know hopefully right in in three to five years from now, um, it will be silly to have a network automation focused conference because this will just be how we do things. Well, you might be being a little bit optimistic. <laughs> well, we'll you know we'll see, right? There's no there's no uh, trigger outcome for us here, right? We we just know there's an opportunity now 
to put more focus on the conversation. We're both very much of a mind of, you know, how do we get conversation started? How do we support the ecosystem um, apart from specific vendors or including any player, any vendor, any pro services firm, any consumer, you know, to come together and, you know, share, share ideas. I hesitate to call them best practices, but maybe best practices emerge out of this. Um, you know, Chris mentioned this earlier too, but we, we often default to the, the Python conversations, right. And the bits and the bytes. Um, but the, the business case justification return on investment and other supporting management organizational structures get lost. Um, we want to make sure that gets addressed too. You know, we're not, we're not splitting out a tech track and a business track in this first event because we think we've got enough to keep everybody together for the same set of conversations, but maybe we differentiate that in future events, right? Um, we'll, we're going to play it by ear and just see, see what's most useful. I think that's our number one guiding principle. What, what, what are, what's going to be helpful to people? Yeah. Cool. Great. So we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, and if I guess I can just run around and see where, where everybody can get in touch with or uh, how people can get in touch with everybody. But before we do that, is there any other like topic that we've missed or anything we should talk about? Or have we kind of gotten this pretty much filled up for right now and then maybe we talk about it again later? <laughs> I mean, we could definitely go into depth on, on many of these topics further, but I, th I think we've covered most of the high points, um, I think. Okay, good. Well, I, I mean, we can, uh, yeah, we... we 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 could uh, go on and on, Russ. You, I think you, <laughs> I know, you can see did, that yeah. with us. Uh, <laughs> this is a you know we look. We really appreciate you having us on and being able to talk about this, especially with the timing for uh, the November event coming up. And uh, you know this is it's you know it's great to be on the call here. You know with you and Tom, and we just we greatly appreciate it. Great, thanks. Okay. So, Scott, uh, where can people get in touch with you or follow you? Or do you blog or anything else or just? Um... The, the number one place is just find me on LinkedIn and it's Scott Robon, R-O-B-O-H-N, Robo Headline News, if uh, you have any trouble remembering that. Okay. Um, um, I, I, I tweet a bit. I'm not as prolific as others might be, but uh, other stuff that I do on my, my, my personal blog, I usually advertise it on LinkedIn anyway. So LinkedIn is a good spot. Okay, cool. And for you, Chris, any particular place people should? Yeah, definitely have been having a lot of great conversations on LinkedIn lately. That seems to be kind of the locus of, of where uh, um, most of my kind of social media type uh, activities happening. I am also at Chris Grundeman on, on Twitter and uh, in, the, in the Fediverse. And uh, you can find chrisgrundeman.com for uh, more stuff. And then everything we're doing with, with the Network Automation Forum is that Network Automation dot forum uh so hopefully that's pretty easy it's a lot of letters but but fairly easy to remember network automation dot forum is where all this stuff goes and there's uh email list sign up forms and, and all the, obviously registration for the event and everything is all there cool and tom people just follow you on twitter and linkedin right that's it yep twitter and linkedin search for tom ammon you'll find me it's a sad thing but okay we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll let you get away with it again i've been giving tom a very hard time about not having a blog for a long time i don't Years. write as yeah, years. I don't write as much as I should on my blog. I end up with the hedge and writing on packet pushers and stuff. But, you know, that's the way things work. Blogs and podcasts are work. Yes, <laughs> I know. I know. They eat content. It's like, a, it's like anyway, it's crazy. 
So cool. All right. Well, thanks guys for coming on. Um, I'm Russ White. You can always find me here at The Hedge on LinkedIn, on Twitter, other various places if you want to. I'm really not hard to find. And, um, you know, we know your time is important in this world. We live in an information-rich world and uh, would be just very appreciative that you listen to us with an hour out of your day or whatever it is that you listen to us every week. And uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of The Hedge, and we will catch you next time. Music